Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. So hey everybody, we are talking about the 1990 film Alienator, directed by Fred Olin Ray, starring Jan Michael Vincent. Uh, this <laughs> movie was made in 1988 and released direct-to-video in 1990, it was released on VHS, and is acknowledged by the director as a semi-remake of the 1957 film The Astounding She-Monster. The movie was directed by Fred Olin Ray, who has made a lengthy career out of low-budget films. He made his first movie on a budget of $298, and ever since then has released somewhere between three and six new films every year. Oh, yeah. He made a lot of those weird anything with bikini in the title. Like bikini car wash, <laughs> he yeah. All those movies for Cinemac. Uh, he made like sci-fi, schlocky horror movies like this, like Alienator. He makes Christmas movies that you see like on Hallmark and Lifetime. You know, this guy makes any and everything for any amount of money. You want a movie made, he's gonna make it. And just like uh, Troma Entertainment, these movies are not low budget and campy due to a lack of movie making skill this is what this guy does the best and and he enjoys doing it yeah hey, i mean he grew up like a movie fan in florida went out to you know california and then just started making movies and just, he's he's one of those like true pioneers you know he also spent some time as a pro wrestler mainly doing small house uh shows you can you can find his highlight reel on youtube uh, with clips from matches with Abdullah the Butcher and Terry Funk and the Honky Tonk Man. Honky Tonk Man. He should have been in this movie. He should have been. <laughs> That's the only thing this movie was missing was an Elvis impersonator. Which is weird because it seems like it takes place in, like they say it takes place in California, but it seems like it's like in the Midwest or in the Rockies or something. Right. It's real setting. I like it though. I love the movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. Written by Paul Garson. Uh, this is one of his two writing credits to his career. The other one was also a Fred Ray movie called Cyclone, about a bulletproof motorcycle with lasers and missile launchers that's being chased by a Chevy Caprice station wagon. Dude, that movie sounds awesome. <laughs> we, we might have to devote an episode to that one as well. You might check that out. Special effects artists included Cleve Hall, who has done some really interesting work. He's known as the goth Mr. Rogers for his, <laughs> his work with children. The bugs in this movie are definitely Cleve Hall's work. This guy is most noted for sticking with practical effects long after everyone else in the industry had moved on to CGI. Known for The Reanimator and Sandlot, he played Godzilla in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and he got two Emmy nominations for his work as costume designer for the Nick Jr. show Yo Gabba Gabba. Get out. Yeah. He did Gabba Gabba? I mean, oh, man. Yeah, he's, he's good. He did, he did good work in this movie. 
those bugs are just they seem like something out of like a video game i love the look of them and stuff it's like a the, really scary effect that he does with yeah pyrotechnics done by bruce maddox and don powers if you haven't seen this movie these guys basically have two tricks yeah uh, sparks and gasoline yeah and they use them as much as they can possibly be used Maddox, uh, Bruce Maddox, his first three films were China Syndrome, Animal House, and Capricorn One. Not exactly low-budget flops. These were some some pretty important films for their time. Yeah, Animal House like revolutionized like comedy comedy right. movies as we know them. You know, that was for Art a lot for- of folks their first introduction to John Belushi. Don Powers did a couple of episodes of Tales from the Crypt and a string of low-budget movies and made-for-TV movies. Those are the explosion guys for this movie. Stunt coordinator was Bob Bragg, who has nearly 150 stunt performer and stunt coordinator credits to his name from 1983 to 2015. Credits include Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, The Addams Family Reunion, and Walker, Texas Ranger. So for a low-budget film, there's some people who knew their stuff working on this. Oh, yeah, no. And you can see that. Like, when you're watching the movie, it feels like a 1950s... Like you said, like, the guy said it was like a remake of, like, an old movie. It feels like a 1950s movie that it was filmed in the 80s. Yeah, like, and right, that's basically I, what it is. The Astounding She-Monster was 1957. Yeah. So, like, they knew what they were doing. It's tongue-in-cheek hokiness with, uh, like, a modern veneer. Like, all the sound effects. Like, I, that's what I really loved about the movie, the sound design. It's hokey, and they borrow a lot from Star Wars and, like, uh, old, like, uh, Conan movies and stuff. Or, like, Deathstalker. Like, just, it's just great. It's cheesy, but it's, it's done with, like, tasteful cheesiness. Yeah, and as we get into the cast, you'll see that those borrowed elements aren't exactly a mistake. Yeah. So getting into the cast, we have the commander of an interstellar prison colony, played by Jan Michael Vincent, best known for his role as Stringfellow Hawk on Airwolf, uh, Airwolf. opposite Ernest Borgnine. For anybody not as old as us, Airwolf was an espionage drama featuring a supersonic helicopter with whisper mode so you could actually sneak up on people with a helicopter and they did that several times in that show yeah it was it was pretty much night rider but with a helicopter and exactly yeah, instead exactly. of having a helicopter you just had ernest borgnine that it's just as cool like ernest borgnine i take that over a talking car he's a fun guy Airwolf was canceled after three seasons. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent's alcoholism made him difficult to work with, and that contributed to the decline of the show. That helicopter? Yeah. Like, it, it got sold to, like, Switzerland or something, and they were using it as, like, a, uh, like a, a transport helicopter, like a rescue helicopter. Oh, really? It crashed. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't know if that's, like, an urban myth, but I've read that in a bunch of magazines. Man, that, that, that was a weird show. I remember watching that as a kid. Yeah, it was. Uh, USA picked it up for a fourth season with a completely new cast. They just writ, wrote everybody, all of the original cast, out of the show. Yeah. Uh, and tried to bring it back, and it, it didn't work. That, that show got canceled for a reason, and it needed to stay that way. Mostly, he's just uh, Jan Michael Vincent's line deliveries. I mean, he's always strong. 
like in this movie. I don't know what time they started filming, but he started drinking two hours before that. Yeah. He wasn't even in the scene and he starts drinking before they film, you know? It's yeah. It's like, he's, he's bad. And After Airwolf was canceled, the only thing that he did was low-budget, limited-release movies. Oh, yeah. Straight because, to video. Because they were the only folks that would work with him. They could yeah. bring him on set for three or four hours, and then he's done, and we can go make the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's like John Carradine back, all those old spooky horror movies and stuff. He'd just show up. He's like a drunk guy in a suit, and then, like, you know, here's, here's your paycheck. Get out of here. Then we have Cole, played by Ross Hagen. Ross Hagen was a B-movie actor, director, and screenwriter, best known for his voice role as Landon Ricketts, the retired gunslinger in Red Dead Redemption and its zombie expansions. Um, Hagen died soon after doing that video game role, and there's a location in Red Dead Redemption 2 called Mount Hagen that's named in his honor. He also did the Side Hackers, which is like a classic uh, mystery science theater yeah, he did a couple of shows that got the, the Mystery Science Theater treatment, um, and yeah. I can't remember what the other one was. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's been in a bunch of crap. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah he's, yeah, he's been in a bunch of stuff, but yeah, most of it was crap. Yeah, he specialized in B-movies because, well, that's the roles he could get. I mean, his acting in this movie is pretty much limited to how wide can you open your mouth and can you bug your eyes out some more. How creepy bug eye can you get <laughs> without us putting makeup on you? Also, he, he I don't know, he looks like a, like a space pimp or something. He's wearing like all silver, like a sleepless vest and stuff. It's like they raided Marty McFly's closet and then took a can of silver spray paint to it. Spray paint, yeah, it, yeah, it's exactly what they did. Also, uh, he looks like, I don't know, like, uh, you know, la that movie Labyrinth? Yeah. Like, if you have never seen it, this guy, he looks like uh, that little midget in Labyrinth with the big nose. Hoggle. Hoggle. He looks just like that. I mean, to get this guy. <laughs> he's like a haggard stone face of a man. The delegate from Gamma 12, Lund, played by Robert Clark, who was a B-movie actor from the 1940s and 50s, had recurring TV roles on Dragnet, Perry Mason, Adam 12, Dallas, and Dynasty. And he was in the 1957 movie, The Asto Astounding She-Monster, that we talked about earlier. Okay, so he's like a, like a holdover from that movie, kind of like a... Yeah, he's their, he's their continuity device, I guess. Tara, who lost the front of her dress... Oh, bad is played by P.J. Souls, best known for her roles in Halloween, Private Benjamin, Carrie, Stripes, and The Devil's Rejects. Also was in uh, the the new Halloween. She mm -hmm. played a teacher or something. And also, like, um, my favorite was uh, Rock and Roll High School. She played Riff Randall, like okay. the Ramone fangirl. I love that movie. I don't know why. <laughs> Probably because of her mom. She played moms and stuff like ever. Like I mean, she went from like one of those like was like always like a hot teenage chick, like kind of bubble headed, like you know, chewing bubble gum type chick, you know, to like mom roles, like perfect. And she's like, she still is acting. She still doing movies. Yeah, 
She had bit parts in a lot of 80s crime dramas. Uh, she was had bit parts in Airwolf and Knight Rider and Simon and Simon. And then finally, on the alien side of the movie, we have the alienator or the hunter unit played by Tegan Clive. She had roles in Armed and Dangerous with John Candy and Meg Ryan. That's a great movie. She was in Jumpin' Jack Flash with Whoopi Goldberg. That's a great movie. She wrote for Conan, the TV series, and Acapulco Heat, which I haven't seen, but if I read the description right, it sounds like what if Charlie's Angels was a spy team at her beach resort? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like that. It's kind of like that show VIP that Pamela Anderson had. Yeah. It's like a bunch of spies. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Angels spy chick thing. They really sucked at their job, but it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It was like one of those USA shows, like Silk Stalking, you know. Conan wasn't that bad, though. Uh, it's on right. two, I think. It's a good show. I mean, eh, for like sword and sorcery bullshit shows, it's better than Young Hercules. All right. Down on the Earth side of the movie, we've got Ward Armstrong, played by John Philip Law. I love this guy. So he's best known for his roles in spaghetti westerns and for co-starring opposite Jane Fonda in Barbarella. And uh, then he uh, made a bunch of movies in Europe. Yeah, man, globetrotting success, this guy. is in Space Mutiny, which is like a, a great, stupid sci-fi movie with um, Red Brown in it. Yeah, just everything, I, like anytime I see Philip Law, I'm like, I know that dude. Yeah. Because yeah. like, he's good in everything. He added something that this movie really needed. You know, if if he hadn't been in this and we had to just uh, deal with the Scooby-Doo kids, it It'll wouldn't start, have been I'm nearly real, as good. He's got like that. He's got like this kind of every man quality about him, you know? Right. That you just like project yourself onto. He's just kind of like blank, but like the way he delivers his lines and stuff, he totally can emote. And he's, he's got like these creepy eyes, which they used to use a lot in Westerns. So like, dangerous diabolic, like the spy in that movie. And like, he's like in all black and all you see is his eyes, you know, and his black suit. And he, like, he's, he's just acting with his eyes. They're, they're creepy. But yeah, he's a great actor. I love him. Yeah, he was good in this. And we've got Colonel Cor Coburn, played by Leo Gordon, who's been a character actor for over 40 years. Lots of Westerns under his belt. Appeared in Bonanza, Gunsmoke, Adam-12, and Magnum P.I. That guy stole the movie. He did. <laughs> it could have been this man and the alienator, and I would have watched that movie. Yeah, it could have been just those two on the screen and nobody else. Well, I don't know. Like those two and like the two little redneck guys that are like. Yes. Yeah. Bert and and Harley. Bert played by Fox Harris. I love that guy. Had roles in Repo Man and Sid and Nancy. And he died shortly after this movie was finished. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, Repo Man is probably my favorite film growing up. Like, I love that movie. It's I don't know. It's like a. That is a crazy movie. It's like a Bible to me or something. I don't know. It's. And he his role in it is just he's got all these crazy lines. He's he's like a mad scientist. His delivery heard, is hilarious. Yeah, and when I heard his voice in this movie, I was like, I know exactly who that guy is. <laughs> like, because oh, like he just had this like weird nasally, just weird line delivery, and, and yeah. this is he's great. And Harley played by Hoke Howell. 
who is another character actor who's worked on just about everything. Everything, yeah, uh, he's good Had roles in Andy Griffith all the way to Dukes of Hazard and Webster. Mainly cast because of his accent. He's got a, a, a very distinct, almost an East Tennessee kind of accent. Yeah, and he knows how to use it, too. He knows exactly where to, like, what word, you know, to use and how. Like, like if he's getting like somewhere that like someone with that accent would say, he knows like, oh, I'm not, I'm going to use this, you know? And yeah, yeah I, I love him movie because he's, he's like the CEO and the other one's like R2-D2. They're very much like the cops in Laser Blast. Hoke Howell, it was said, didn't matter what the role was or how much he was being paid for it. He made himself at home and he owned that role. He does, you can tell. Because he's so comfortable in this damn movie. It's realistic. Then we've got the Scooby-Doo kids, as I've been calling them. Oh, God, these kids. Uh, we've got They're Rick, like... played by Richard Wiley. This is a one of only five acting credits for him. He didn't have much of a career. They were all low-budget films. One of them, he played partner to a ninja vice cop in Phoenix, Arizona. That sounds awesome. Was he... Was he... <laughs> was he... Back one, like in the Leatherman or the Letterman's jacket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't that bad. He did his role good. He's he's a he kind of jockey douchebag. Right. Uh, he it was really easy bully. to dislike him, but at the same time, you kind of wanted him to succeed a little, maybe. Yeah, because he was like the only one that kind of had a clue. But it was really easy to dislike him. And his girlfriend Ori, played by Diana Ortelli, she was in Three Amigos and La Bamba. On the TV side, she was in Lizzie McGuire and did some voice acting in the Nickelodeon cartoon Rocket Power. She can also be seen in Fred Ray's pro wrestling highlight reel. I got to see that reel now. Yeah, it's on YouTube. I'll, I'll have to send you that link. It's funny. And then we've got Benny and Caroline, played by Jesse Dabson and Don Wildsmith, who really haven't done anything notable. Uh, she's a B-movie scream queen. And he's had a few bit parts here and there, but nothing that would really jump out to anybody as I know who that guy is. i tell you what, I know who that guy is. Uh, that guy is the nerd in this movie, and he's the character I hate the most. <laughs> Every line he has is just backwards and stupid and just, oh, his monologues, I can't take them. He was they the one that like... Him. They feed him a bunch of pseudoscience bullcrap lines, and he delivers them like that guy that we all know that is, you know for certain, 100%. This guy's a dumbass who knows nothing, but he's yeah. trying to sound like well, he knows yeah. all of it. It's like he got all his science from a comic book. Yep. And like, I don't know, Onion articles. Are, he's just, <laughs> oh, man. I mean, saying something, I punch him. The chick, I don't know. She's been in some good stuff, and I know, like, she comes from like a like a makeup artist background, right? Not like special effects makeup, but like you know, camera makeup. And I don't know. It seems like that's that's a good casting choice. I know she didn't work makeup on this, but like, hey, you know, get a two for one if you're on a budget. Right. Hire an that has you know makeup. I have no idea what the budget for this movie was, but if it was more than $100,000, somebody got robbed. Oh, yeah, they definitely money on this. Because <laughs> half the people look like they're just wearing their clothes. Yeah, yeah, it, it is acid wash hell. 
I'm pretty sure the colonel just showed up on set. So this movie opens with a really long crawl, and that that's something that I don't like. I didn't like it in Star Wars. I didn't like it in this one. If you're going to do it, do it short and sweet. Yeah. Like, you know, galactic history and my thing. I don't want to know, you know, just uh, this is what's happening, and this is where we're at. Yeah. Or you don't have to do that. Like, uh, this is the year, and uh, this is what's going to, you know, this is the planet. I don't want, like... And because that, that is confusing because I didn't re- really know what they were trying to convey in that. Like, it's not that long, but it's really worded. I don't know. Just it's fucked up. They tried to do space jumbo jargon in it. And it's like, uh, I don't want it. Basically, the crawl explains that that Cole led a rebellion against a space tyrant named after a biblical demon and is being held in prison pending execution. Which kind of sets up Cole as like, uh, like a you think like in Star Wars terms, like you know, because everybody's been brainwashed at Star Wars at this point, like the rebellion. Uh, ooh, he's he's like unjustly prisoned, you know. Right. He's gonna be the guy, good guy, Star Wars, you know, Luke Skywalker, yeah, type character, and like these guys are the Empire. They're they're gonna torture and kill. Him. Uh, Jan Michael Vincent as the commander stops by to taunt the prisoner. And, and this doesn't make any sense at all. Why is he doing this rather than uh, uh, besides just getting him on the screen and getting him some lines? He, he's there's no yeah. mistake in just how drunk he is in this. He can barely keep his eyes open. Oh, man. And all those. Like, it's, it's, I know he's got like scripted words, but he's like just making up shit in between. And he goes in there and he starts punching on this guy. And this is this guy's like older and like him and, you know, J. Michael Vince is drunk and stuff. Punch him in the stomach. Every time he punches in the stomach, there's like an organ seal. Like someone's just like laying on the keys on an organ. Yeah. It's so funny. It just goes in there drunk. All right. You're, 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 and he's like, he even falls on his butt at the end. Like he's like slides down the wall. Like, oh, I'm beat up. And when he hits his butt, the, the organ plays. I lost my shit when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was so 50s cornball. It was, oh, it was classic. Meanwhile, the delegate from Gamma 12 has has appeared. All of the planets in this movie have a number after their name. And you don't even get to see the planets. You never see them, no. The first part of this movie is on a prison space colony. With the setup shot, the establishing shot, is just still from uh, Space 1999. Right. It's the moon base. For anybody who's not familiar, Space 1999 was a 1970s sci-fi drama, primetime drama that I absolutely loved, where a, a nuclear missile detonated on a moon base and it blew the moon out of Earth's orbit. So the scientists on the base just drove the moon around the galaxy for three yeah. seasons. The, the guy from uh, Mission Impossible, like Martin Landau. Yeah. The guy who played Dracula, in, uh, or not, Bella Lugosi in uh, that Ed Wood movie, is just driving the moon around like a like a big giant truck. Like yep. a, it's like yeah. Star Trek, only instead of flying a spaceship around, they're flying the moon around. It's, it was actually like a nice show. I liked it. It's like classic sci-fi. Yeah, uh, it was good. It was good. I it loved it. Where like Andy Griffith is like uh, salvaging like stuff on the moon. Oh, uh, salvage one. Yeah. Yeah, I loved that one, too. <laughs> it's, like, way better than that. Let's see. The commander and his delegation leave. 
to go meet their visitor. And that's when Cole notices a big bug on the wall. He's got something in a paper bag. Uh, yeah. I guess the implication is that he's got more of these bugs in a brown paper sack hidden in his cell. Like he's like, yeah, he's catching space bugs. And it's just like a brown paper sack. And it's just like kind of hopping up and down after he sees the one crawling up the wall. It's this cheesy hokey effect, but it, it works. You, it, it is. It's you know. obviously a paper bag with some uh, with some fishing line tied to it. And somebody's just tugging yeah. that line. But it sets it establishes the understanding that that these bugs are going to be important. So we get to the control room and the warden wants to know why he wasn't notified of something. Probably the early arrival of the delegate. It never really makes that clear. He's obviously trying to be a hard ass with his employees, but he's really only being a mean drunk. Some of those employees are like, um, I think one of them's the director. The other one is uh, the guy from Day of the Dead that gets ripped in half. Right. Joe Pilato. And the, the other guy is like... Uh, Man, I see him as like a, he plays lawyers in these class action lawsuit commercials. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's rich white guy in bikini car wash one through three. Okay. But yeah, he, he works a lot with uh, um, Fred Ray. He does a lot of his movies and stuff. It's, it's cool to see Joe Pilato in there, like not being like a drunk bastard too. He was just right. like on computer and stuff. So while the delegate is in security, they're analyzing his DNA. Presumably to make sure he's not bringing anything harmful aboard the prison colony. And, and they yet, mention yeah. a hook pattern in his DNA, which the uh, sergeant major says could be a residual effect of a mass gene splicing a few years ago. No, no background, never mentioned that again. Uh, but apparently they just had a big party on Gamma 12 and everybody got stuff spliced into their DNA. Those Gamma 12-ians, man. There's plenty of precedent for that. It was, it was in the Star Trek movies that the Klingons got their forehead ridges that was part of a genetics experiment in the Klingon Empire to try to make stronger warriors. Yeah. And this could be something like that. It could also have something to do with the Clone Wars in the Star Wars uh, books as well. But maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I don't know. I don't know. If, if it was, it would be like like the Star Trek one. Like, I think it's a little too much credit. I think it's just like, I need space jargon to fill time before the, the escape. Because uh, don't they like, they execute a guy in front of Cole to show him, like, this is what's going to happen to you, buddy. Right. So Delegate Lund walks in and gives the standard consultant line. I'm just here to observe and make a few suggestions. Just pretend I'm not even here. He then goes on to be as intrusive as he can possibly be. Yeah, he's um, taking everything. He's pushing buttons. He's touching everything. He's trying uh, to undermine the prison employees and subvert them, trying to get them to disobey orders to execute folks. But they do bring in a prisoner to be executed. Commander mentions that this is their first execution in six months, and he's anxious to get to killing people. I bet you are, J. Michael Vincent. They do bring in Lund to, or Cole to watch the execution just as a little twist of the knife there. And the guy looks like, I don't know, some kind of like surfer guy from American Gladiators. 
And he's all like, hey, Cole, this is what's going to happen to you. And I'm like, why, why would you say that? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense. All of a sudden, this prisoner who's being executed is on board with his executioner to torment Cole. That it doesn't make yeah. any sense. I, I mean, I know why. I mean, if you say something in the movie, you get you automatically get bumped up, you know, pay grade. Right. And that's probably why I try to work that in there. But yeah, it just it doesn't make any sense because like he's going from like sad and frumpy to, oh, my God, you know, I'm about to get executed to like kind of like party on Wayne, like all of a sudden, like suddenly like, just looking at cold, like rubbing in his face, smiling and shit. It was weird. So Tara pulls the switch and nothing happens because the safety's engaged. So the commander takes over and executes the first prisoner. As that prisoner's being vaporized, Cole attacks his guards, and a gun battle ensues with sparks flying from everything and everyone. This is where you start getting your bang for your buck. Yeah, shoot the railing, sparks. Shoot somebody uh, in the chest, sparks fly out of his chest. That canister above your head, sparks. Yes, that. oh God, that was so funny. Yeah. One guy got shot in the forehead and sparks explode out of his face. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I'm like laughing my ass off. I'm like, oh, dude, I'll take it. <laughs> There's a gunfight on a balcony as Cole's making his way through this complex. Cole shot one of the guards and two of them fell dead. He shoots the third guard who is standing by a door, but then the camera angle changes and he's hanging off the edge of the balcony as the sparks explode and he jumps off. Yeah, they, they go the whole thing. Uh, we're in space, so let's just find an, like an abandoned factory and shoot there for a couple of days, do all the yeah. spaceships in a factory. So it's like space mutiny. It's like, ooh. So everything's like railings and OSHA hats and stuff. It's, but, it's, I mean, geez, just, the, just the stunts were done poorly here because the guy is standing on the balcony well away from the railing. But when yeah. the shot hits him, He's standing outside the railing, hanging off the edge of the balcony. I think it's more like editing, though, because there's like some stuff editing wise in this movie. Like there's this one part where like people are talking off camera. Yeah. And it, they're having conversation about doing a trap or something. And they're, they're nowhere on the screen. They're, it's just a pan of the, the woods. Like it's weird. Like I think the editing, like I don't know, maybe it went through like two or three editors trying to like save, cobble together a movie. But I think, I think they, so. It's just it's just weird. Uh, and then we do the same thing from the opposite angle. So Cole shoots the railing and two guards fall dead. Yeah. Uh, and then you shoot I, the third one and he jumps off the balcony. And we see Cole sneaking through the facility and he comes up uh, behind a guard, uh, puts his gun away and pulls out the paper sack. This is the scene that Cleve Hall has been waiting for for the entire movie. Because he sneaks up behind the guard and shoves a paper bag in his face. He doesn't uh, just shove. He punches that guy. <laughs> <laughs> just mushes the bag into his like, face. This is brutal. It's like if <laughs> someone did a, the pie gag with a brown paper bag. <laughs> and like try to shove it up in their nose. It's like surprise. And just, <laughs> it was so fun. It's great. Well, when the guard pulls the uh, bag away, he's got the three bugs on his face. These bugs are like five times bigger than they were when we saw the one in the cell. And they start burrowing into his face. This guard is the producer, Jeffrey Hogue. 
they go from the size of like little marshmallow peeps to the size of like a, a one of those old flip phones and they're just barreling in his cheeks and his forehead and he, he's giving off this god awful scream and it's so damn funny it's yeah, so damn funny it is pretty good so cole's got to watch this and he's got his gun in his hand while he's watching this another guard sneaks up behind him and they and they fight cole loses his gun but he ends up knocking the guard out and he runs off leaving his gun behind for some reason he does manage to make it to an airlock and steal a shuttle and escape that's when the commander decides to send a hunter unit to catch cole and then we get we finally after all of this action and after the opening crawl now we get the opening credits and the title sequence that title font is badass. That's the dude. best part of the whole movie right there is that title font. I, I want that like on a denim jacket. <laughs> it looks so badass. It's like Conan or like, uh, what was that? Golden Axe font. It looks so sweet. And you got Cole flying in this little rocket ship. They like cut scenes with like seeing his eyes and he's like all moaning and shit already. Yeah, apparently uh, his um his collar is choking him now. And throughout this movie, this collar will switch on and off and very slowly strangle him for the next hour and a half. So if you like old dudes, like, you know, wearing <laughs> silver vest moaning, this movie's right up your alley because that's what you got going on. Yeah, yeah, for the next, like, 45 minutes, yeah. So they get to Earth. He crashed Earth, right? He crashed on Earth, yes. And then we see an RV driving along a dirt road. This is our first shot of Rick. Rick is down into Budweiser just as fast as he can while he drives because he drives better with a few brews. Yeah, get his uh, beer legs, beer goggles, or something. I don't know. He, he's like 45 and he's wearing a Letterman's jacket. This guy's got issues. His girl sitting in the passenger seat, giving him that judgmental glare like she's counting his beers for him. You hear, like, the nerd guy or something in the back or something? Yeah, we hear Benny back there asking, uh, you know, if he wants to take a break, if he wants to drive for a little bit. But Rick's not stopping for anybody. And I just yells, he cusses him out, and he, he gasses it. And, like, he sees up, well, he, I, 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 I told this guy I saw this guy, because I saw the guy. And you see Cole, <laughs> and he looks like Coyote from the Wiley Coyote, like just totally blown up on the side of the road, He's zombie walking. Yeah, Cole, Cole just stumbles up onto the road, and you see the shot of him just standing there looking right at him. And yeah, it kind of clips him with the side mirror. They took him out, man. He's, he's like, I'm taking this guy out. That guy's got road rage. He does. He's got serious problems there. They finally stop to check on Cole, who appears to be either unconscious or dead and not really sure which. But they take him into the RV and Benny climbs up on top of him. I believe what he was supposed to be doing was putting his ear to his chest to see if he could hear a heartbeat. That's when Cole starts screaming and scares the crap out of Benny. Like the collar turns on or something and it starts choking him. And he's every time that happens, he starts like, yeah, he screams like a girl. It's it's spooky. But yeah, I think like they have like this weird like subplot on when like that shit happens, like the electricity goes weird around. Yeah, he starts moaning, he starts uh, wheezing, 
And if you missed it, don't worry. It's going to happen again. Yeah. For next 45. <laughs> then we see uh, Harley and Bert for the very first time. And they're out yeah. hunting. Or at least it, it's supposed to look that way. They each have a gun and they're tromping through dry leaves, making a whole bunch of noise. But they're supposed to be hunting. They're probably just walking in the woods, drinking, cussing each other. They do find a rabbit in a live trap that they're going to help themselves to until the game warden catches them. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and Harley said, put that down, Bert. You don't, you don't need to be messing with another man's traps. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they're poachers. They're they poachers. are poachers. But Bert tries to explain that they're only hunting on a game preserve because all the good animals just look at their traps and come over here. That's when Ward asks them why they need to use bear traps, and and Harley tries to explain that there used to be bears and cougars and maybe even a Bigfoot or two around here. (laughs) They need the bigger traps. I love Harley's delivery. It's some of the best delivery in the They're kind of like the audience. They're carrying us into the story, and then they take us to the game warden, and then they take us to, you know, the old man shack. They're just, they're there. Kind of really. And to carry the plot. So next, the uh, the kids in their RV arrive at the game warden's cabin, and it's after dark. The special effects guys were trying to make it look foggy, but instead it looked to me like the br- the bridge was on fire. What's his name used to do that a lot, and it always would backfire. The guy that did Bram Stoker's Dracula and stuff. It's just, what are you doing, man? There's too much smoke. It looks like the house is on fire. Yeah, I mean, this they, they could have waited. To, to film this scene until after, you know, the smoke was distributed well enough that it kind of looked foggy. But it's like the, the director was impatient and went just as soon as the smoke was there. And so we just see smoke billowing up from under the bridge. And, and it looks like the place is on fire. But they take Cole into, the, um, into Ward's cabin and, and Ward's going to call a doctor. Cole's collar activates again, and he wakes up screaming, scaring Benny uh, yet again. Yeah. And then he passes out. Benny tries to deliver it as a death <coughs> spasm. He knows that because he saw it in a movie one time. Yeah, I hate that kid. Uh, then we see a, uh, a shot of absolutely nothing in the night sky, and that causes Cole's collar to activate one more time. Well, it's like a little pink dot. The second time we see it, yes. The first time, oh. there's there's nothing up there. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. It's like it's got this weird, yeah. They used like that still shot of just like two trees in the night. The editing's all fucked up on it. So Cole, this is when Cole explains that death is coming, that he's escaped from another planet, and that the people that he escaped from are coming after him, and they're gonna kill all of them. All of them. Time to do my shout out now. Yeah, we want to make sure we recognize everybody who supports us on Patreon. Like I said, we're a pretty cheap date. You can support us for a dollar an episode, and that uh, money goes to help make donations to film schools all across the country so that we can keep supporting the people who are making the movies that we're talking about here. So we want to make a shout out, give a shout out here to our very first Patreon supporter, Colin Christopher. Uh, we've known Colin for a while. He's a good friend, but he's, he's the very first person to uh, support us on Patreon. And we want to make sure to recognize him. Hey, Colin. Hey, man. 
Tune in Tokyo. So uh, if you'd like to uh, help us out there, uh, you can uh, support us too. Just go to patreon.com slash cdfpod. And there are several different sponsorship levels there. Each level comes with its own rewards, including the ability to uh, influence the movies that we talk about and even uh, get yourself a guest spot on the podcast if we use a movie that you recommend. So be sure to check that out. Patreon.com slash cdfpod. Hell yeah. Every single one of them. And that's when the power goes out as another spaceship lands. They called the doctor, right? They did call the doctor. They called the doctor and he's drinking hard. Yeah. He's he's drinking stoli shots. And I don't know what went on in his day, but it, it was bad. I think he went to the jam like in school for actors. It's like get drunk. <laughs> he just ripped off the table. You know your lines, get drunk. You still know your lines, cool, let's roll them. Yeah. (laughs) But the doc's going to come out there. He'll be out there in about a half an hour. And then we go back to the penal colony. Moon base alpha. The commander is questioning Tara about the botched execution, which immediately leads to the commander hitting on Tara. Yeah, they got this whole, like, plot in there where... Like, even when they first meet at the beginning of the movie, he's like, you know, you ought to let your boyfriend, you know, give you a night off. You look rugged, like saying that she's been out all night, you know, slut stuff. But then in this scene, you find out that they used to date and he's just like a woman, asshole, and he's like sexually harassing this chick. Yeah, so apparently they dated for a while and uh, he's mad that she dumped him and uh, he's not going to let her have any rest over that one. She's wearing this shirt that has the breast cut out and she's wearing like a red tape bra under that. (laughs) You don't any other of these women in this place, in this prison. None of them. No, they're all wearing like body condoms. They look like sex space potatoes. They're all dressed like Imperial soldiers in Star Wars. Yeah. It's and like, then she's a Victoria's Secret model. Yeah. Like, this guy's like the worst boss ever. Like, <laughs> don't file a complaint. All you got to so, do is take the shirt into any courtroom and, you know, money. That's just uh... <laughs> And then the old guy, he walks in. It's like, oh, don't let me stop you having a good time. Like, he's a dickhead. Yeah, he wants to watch. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Man, space is a weird place. The sergeant major comes in and informs uh, the commander that the hunter unit has landed, and the commander explains that he doesn't care if it blows up the whole planet. He wants coal dead at any cost. Back on like, Earth, it, Cole is explaining that the hunter has taken control of the power grid. So Cole's doing the power thing. I thought it was a colony. <laughs> No, it was it was it was the hunter that was doing the power grids that was making the power go out. Cole was uh, just explaining to him that that's why they had no power okay. was because the hunter unit had taken control of the power grid. Well, thank God, like the game warden lives in a cabin. It's got like I don't know that guy has like forty or fifty lanterns in this scene. They like do the next scene and like everything's lit in a lantern, so everybody's got like light on their face and yep. everything. Else darkness but seriously count the lanterns <laughs> there's a lot of lanterns I thought, what, what are you doing 
Ward and Rick go out to see if they can get the generator running while Cole suddenly becomes fascinated with touching Benny's face. Yeah. And Caroline asks him if he knows E.T. He's starting to get the feeling this Cole guy is like the bad E.T. Like he start, he's too touchy-feely. Right. He, when he's talking to you, he's breathing funny and he's just got creepy bug eyes. He, he's getting off like really creepy uncle <laughs> vibes. Do not like this guy no more. Well, the generator won't start because it's busted, was the explanation. <laughs> Let me check the police radio. It's also dead. Ward's car won't start, and neither will Rick's RV. So they're just stranded at the game warden's house. Doc Burnside is coming down the road in his car when it dies. Oh, man. And the hunter unit approaches him on foot. Oh, man. Doc doesn't see the hunter unit, so he decides to walk the rest of the way towards cabin. He's um, still shit-faced. He is, and the hunter unit uh, shoots him, and he bursts into flames. You get to first see the hunter unit, right? You do get to see her. She walks up into the, out of the shadows, and, and we get to see her from the waist up. So we get the big Tina Turner Thunderdome wig, and... With the, like a Captain America mask. It's the like grenade launcher bra. Yeah, what is that? And the laser blast gun. The laser blast gun, which is like a thousand times heavier than the laser blast gun. This chick is like, I mean, she's a big chick. She's a bodybuilder. She's known for like, you know, doing like security and not right. doing like she's like, you know, she's either like a lady cop or a security guard in a role she plays. Or she's like some Amazonian or this case lady terminator and every time they move this laser gun it sounds like they're moving like a big stone door in like an rpg game that thing has some heft to it i you know it's just a fake prop but they the way they do the sound editing and shit plus every time it turns on darth vader labor sound like yeah not echo like you know it's cool it makes you feels cool you know yeah Oh, man. So she she shoots the doc, and because apparently, I guess it's because of all the vodka in his system, he bursts into flames and burns to death there on the road. Right, because I think it's like Laser Blast. The first one, give it that punch, make it seem cool. She shoots him. It does like this weird Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty, like green thing, and then instant flames, burning fat guy in the middle of the street. After this, Harley and Bert are walking up the road because their truck died on them. Harley wants to blame it on the battery. Bert says the battery's brand new. He just stole it yesterday. <laughs> they said, like uh, rednecks yeah. from like Andy Griffith, like the bad side of town, like the Ernest, Ernest, Ernest Bass. Uh, Ernest Bass. Those, those, or that, the Darlings. That, yeah, the Dar. Oh, yeah. That's exactly who they feel like like trailer park boys or something. It's just, you know, they do bad stuff, but they're, you know, they're nice-ish. Now, there's no reason for the hunter unit to shoot Doc Burnside. She just shoots him because he's there and yeah. uh, moves on immediately. So when Harley and Bert walk up on the Doc's car, she's long gone. Harley wants to take the car and, and drive the rest of the way home. Bert, Doesn't feel good about stealing a car. (laughs) You're not going to steal a car. Don't dislike that guy. It's it's creepy as hell the way he says that, but it's funny. 
that's what I love about him in like Repo Man. It was just his line delivery. He's talking crazy gibberish. Well, they can't find the keys, and this is when Bert uh, re- recognizes Doc, his charred corpse laying in the street. Yeah, they did a nice job on that corpse. Yeah, that uh, was that's Cleve Hall right there. Also, it's like, wouldn't the keys be on the body? I would think so. Like, just get, check the body. Well, I mean, if you see uh, somebody you know laying burnt in the middle of the street, are you going to go through their pockets? Because I'm not. And probably, I don't know. There's a lady Terminator, so I would probably want to get out of there. Well, they level. haven't seen her like, yet. But, like, if I knew, like, it was Jason Voorhees or something, I'd be like, oh, you know, Jason's in these woods. He probably did this. I need to get out of here. But, yeah, yeah, they haven't seen alien Terminator. Back at Ward's cabin, Benny has decided that Cole really is an alien. Uh, <laughs> he's no longer being strangled by his collar, by the way. Rick's being a jerk because he's Rick. He's yeah. acting tough, aiming his rifle at Cole. Rick doesn't believe Cole's an alien, but he does believe that a monster is coming after him. Doesn't believe in aliens, but believes in monsters. 100%, yes. That's uh, that's School Bully 101 right there. If I say I'm something, that's bullshit. But if huh. I tell you there's a monster coming after you, 100%, we're going to believe that. It's kind of like in uh, Night of Living Dead where they're like, uh, oh, we got to be in the basement. Oh, up here's better. Oh, no, not in the basement. I mean, they're splitting a group up. So the lights start flashing and the car horn starts honking and Cole says it's here. Ward and Benny go out to take their first look at the hunter unit. Rick tells Cole to stay put and he goes out to take a look at the hunter unit too. Cole, of course, won't listen and he's super creepy sneaking up behind Rick. I, I wish the kid had got shot. That nerd kid? Yeah, yeah. He wants to talk to it like that's going to do us any good. Cole explains to Rick that the hunter's weapon will burn him slowly from the inside out. He wants Rick to kill it and kill it now. The hunter unit steps out of the shadows into the light and we get a full body shot of her. So there's an incredibly muscular woman wearing a leather and steel bikini. That is totally uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable, yeah. Very (laughs) unpracticable. I've been in some woods before, um, never wearing a leather and steel bikini, but I can't imagine that it would uh, feel good. No. I see those LARPer chicks, man. They always look uncomfortable. Mad about Always. Always. Rick takes a shot at her, uh, but that doesn't stop her. So they all run back into the house as the hunter opens fire. She shoots the car. The car does not burn. We get the green shimmery light, and then the car disappears. Same thing with the cabin door. She shoots it, and it disappears. So it's disintegration, right? I guess we could assume that there are different settings for this rifle. I'm going to give them that, but yeah. Her first human contact, and she burns a fat dude in the middle of the street that's like covered in vodka. He went up like a sack of potatoes. I love the, the shot thing. This all these shootout things, is, and this is like a good chunk of the movie, these shootout scenes, are just them shooting at this huge alien chick in a metal bikini and her trying to not react when they do like <laughs> on her bikini. We get, we get a much better scene later on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's acting like firing this laser rifle has a kick. Unfortunately... When she jerks her arm back, it doesn't always time just right with when the laser fires. I don't know. There's some where she's like doing, does the kick, no laser comes out. Right. Like something will fall and shit. Well, everybody scrambles out the back of the, of the, uh, 
of Ward's cabin. And, and then we see that Harley and Bert are, are down the hill watching all of this. Uh, yeah. Bert's climbed up in a tree and they're, they're watching lights flashing in Ward's house because the hunter unit has gone inside and she seems to be shooting everything in Ward's cabin, disintegrating the entire contents one item at a time. He's probably shooting all those lanterns. But yeah, they're, they're over there. One's like up in a tree. The other one's got his gun at the ready. And like, it looks like a disco is going off in the house. It's just green lights. Like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Lights flat, green lights flashing because the hunter's just shooting all over the place. So Ward sends the kids on up the road along with Cole, who is being strangled again, if you're keeping track. We get more smoke. Ward has one of Harley and Bert's bear traps, and he's going to try to set that to, to catch the hunter and slow it down. Caroline gets hysterical, so Cole tells him that the aliens will invade if they don't save the world, because that'll calm you down. And yeah, that blonde chick is like just hysterical the entire movie. As much as the, the blonde kid, the nerdy kid is full of shit, that blonde girl gets hysterical. Yeah, yeah. And the bu the bully starts losing his cool. Like, the more the movie goes, it's just it's snowballing. Cole's reaction is, is awesome. She's losing her crap right there in the middle of the woods. So tell her that the world's going to end. Yeah, put some gas on the fire. Yep. Then we see Ward setting the giant bear trap, which he hides with leaves because he's seven, and that's how you hide a trap. <laughs> this is definitely more Wiley e. Coyote stuff here. There's some cartoon logic going on. He might as well just um, hoist an anvil up in the tree and pour out some bird seed underneath it. Oh. Draw a big X on the ground. <laughs> Well, they're aliens, so they've never seen Looney Tunes, so that might work. It doesn't, though. It doesn't, yeah. Because Harley and Bert come along, and Bert steps in the bear trap. Bert's an idiot. They get Bert out of, Bert's leg out of the trap, and Harley and Bert tell Ward, Ward what happened to Doc Burnside, and that's when the hunter shows up and just opens fire. Uh, Harley takes a shot at her, at her and she just kind of matrixes out of the way and then vaporizes Harley. <laughs> Bert shoots her, and the shot bounces off of her steel bra, so she vaporizes him. Ward takes a shot and then runs. Ding! Uh, I love There's In that shootout, she shoots the tree behind one of the hunters, and sparks just fly out of the tree. Yeah. So in this shootout, so we saw her shoot the doctor, and he yeah. burst into flames. Yeah. We saw her shoot inanimate objects, and they were just vaporized. We saw her shoot people, and they were just vaporized. But now if she's shooting uh, a building or a tree, sparks are going to fly. But if she's shooting the dirt, we get a big gasoline fireball. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Ward, in this shootout, manages to shoot her gun, causing it to misfire. And just like with any advanced alien technology, she's able to fix it just by hitting it. Yeah, shake it a little bit and hit it. And if it doesn't work, hit it again. The shaking is the part. That's like a, what do you call it? That's doing a diagnostic. And then once you know, okay, something's wrong with it, hit it. 
So she she slaps the gun and it starts firing again. Ward catches up with the the kids and they head off toward another cabin. Cole explained to the kids that uh, a trap using primitive punji sticks might yeah. slow her down. This is where that editing is weird. They dug a hole about a foot across and they stuck some sticks in it. And it keeps on cutting back to the, the shootout where she's like blowing up the ground. And so like there's like, yeah, there's like this weird editing where it's like, oh, punji sticks. And it like no one's talking. It just it shows the, the forest and then cuts back to the shootout. Right. And that's when it's the laser gun to fix it. And you're like, what was that about? And then, yeah, a couple of minutes later, she sticks on, she steps on a punny stick, like off screen or something. And she's yeah. got it. Yeah, it must have happened off screen uh, or they cut that scene or something. But yeah, yeah, she stepped on a punji stick and it went through her foot. So she has stopped. She has stopped to take off her boot and pull this stick out of her foot, which is not a it's not a bad prop uh, that they made for it. It's it's obviously a silicone prosthetic. It doesn't have any toes because she's a, a, a robot, apparently. So she doesn't need toes. But it's like. It looks like one of those foam feet that you get like at Party City around Halloween. And it's like, I could tell like back in the day, like before this got like upscaled and shit, you probably couldn't see the definition on that, like on a VHS copy of this movie. Sure. Like the way the the foot's in her lap and stuff. Yeah. Also, that whole scene is weird as shit. Like this next scene makes no freaking sense at all. She takes the gun off her hand. She sits down, she takes her foot and her shoe off. She's like slowly taking the punji stick out. Right. And it's like a Disney princess scene. They're like a deer. Yeah, there's a deer that wanders up. And the next thing you know, she's in a petting zoo. Yeah. Uh, The deer walks up to her and she's petting her. And she completely breaks character here. And this is no longer the alienator hunter unit. This is Tegan Clive smiling and talking to a baby deer. I mean, I think I know what they were doing or try to do in this scene. Uh-huh. Like, give uh, like a terminating robot, Lady Terminator, some like uh, humanity. Well, they were trying to uh, soften it just a little bit because she's been killing everybody up to this point, And we need an explanation for why she doesn't just kill everybody. Yeah. Also, and that so, whole, when she locked the deer, that thing with where they do the robot vision thing, that's so cheap. Yeah. It's cool, though. I like it. Yeah, deers are not hostile. That's correct. Unless, <laughs> right, Something's like, you know. facing away from you and eating and not acting yeah. in a threatening manner. It must not be hostile. <laughs> I guess that drunk doctor was hostile shit, huh? I mean, I guess. Said, I mean, it was drunk driving, so yeah. With a strong then, odor of a flammable liquid. Like the kids walk out of the smoke, and there's another cabin, and that's where you meet the colonel. Yes. The movie gets real fucking good at that point. It does get good at this point. This is, the colonel's one of the best characters in this movie. It's like Quint from Jaws. Yes. It's like, it's once you get to this guy, it's like, all right, I know what's going to happen. This we guy is no nonsense, tough as nails. If you've got a problem, he's got a solution for it. And don't come into my house starting any crap. Also, he killed 50 men. Right. (laughs) 
So Ward and the kids explain everything to the colonel that Cole's an alien, that they're being chased by a, a homicidal uh, robot from another planet. And the colonel's got all that. And he's not worried because he's got an AK-47. 47, yeah. He's got a rack of guns. And like all of them probably got personal history, but the one the AK-47 is like it never leaves his hand. So the hunt, the the hunter unit finishes up at the petting zoo, and as soon as she does, the uh, Cole's collar activates and he's choking again. So the colonel just shoots the collar off of him, like point blank rage with AK-47. Yep. No, not even sweating it. No warning. No three, two, one. Just <laughs> I got this bitch, and like. Crack and it just <laughs> open instantly. No mess, no fuss, no sparks either. Which is no surprising. sparks at all. It just pops open and falls down on like uh, some kitten flea collar. Yeah, the colonel wants to use this collar as bait for a trap that involves a landmine that he just happens to have in his cabinet. I'm pretty sure that's not legal. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's he says it's illegal as hell. Yeah, it's like the size of like a uh, like a sewer grate or something. There's a huge landmine. He describes this landmine the same way that one nerdy redneck friend that we all have describes his blowgun. Yeah, <laughs> this thing's illegal in 37 states. But yeah, he's got a landmine in uh, just hanging out in a cabinet in his living room. Yeah, it's like I don't know, man. It's like somewhere like in a normal old man house, it'd probably be a Bible or something. But this guy's got like a like a landmine the size of a spare tire. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to use that as a trap. And we head back to the penal colony where uh, Lund is watching the commander glare at a stress ball. Apparently, it's part of a game that he had uh, on the table there that they're playing uh, a game of strength and skill. Uh, the sergeant major walks in and informs the commander that the hunter uh, has not succeeded in capturing Cole. So the commander informs Lund that their game is over and Lund is the winner. Well, I think like this is like the old school A and B movie where you have two movies going on. I'm mean, pretty sure all the space stuff was shot for the movie. But yeah, like, that's they- what I was what a what I think too. It, and you know, given what it was apparently like or supposedly like to work with Jan Michael Vincent. They probably shot all of that in an afternoon and got him gone. And then they just cut this up and stick it in there in a spot where, oh, by the way, remember there's this other location? Yeah. Kung Fu movies used to do this a lot. They would like just take a movie they already had, like with Asian actors and stuff. And then they would film like a B movie with white actors, like, happening you know international waters or somewhere else you know or france right you know and they spliced that with the movie because they were like well white people aren't gonna watch a movie so like there's tons of movies where it's like just a movie b movie it's yeah. like a spirit trope and this this got that written all over it because like when you're on earth it feels like a completely different movie it feels like it feels like the predator when you're in space it seems like some cheesy star wars knockoff yeah uh, back on Earth, the colonel and Ward plant this landmine, and they hang the collar up in a tree. Like the hunter great. comes up on them while they're doing this and opens fire on them, so they run inside where the kids were making a net out of chicken wire. 
the hunter steps on the landmine, but it doesn't go off, and that pisses the colonel off. Also, the colonel gets to see the hunter for like the first time. Like, yeah, and he's impressed. He's checking her out. Yeah, he's like, man, I want to look at that. He's like, he's turned on. He, he, <laughs> he's so, like, if I weren't beefing right now, I'd be all over her. Yeah, Colonel is definitely impressed with her, but that doesn't stop him from shooting the landmine and setting it off. Hey, you gotta go with what works, right? The, it doesn't hurt her though. She just gets right back up. Not a mark on her. Total no sell. She uh she takes that blast and doesn't even get like burn marks, no scorch like no soot or nothing. She's still like clean and fresh as a daisy. Yeah. It's weird. Uh what's his name? Cole. He was in, in a spaceship crash at the beginning of the movie. He's still got like burn marks and stuff all over him. Yeah, he looks like he, so, he's he's in had he's been through hell and back and, and uh and all he did was have a rough landing inside a spaceship uh that he was able to walk away from yeah the and earth got- erupts under her feet and she doesn't have a smudge on her no 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 uh yet she twitches from every like little spark that's up in her face <laughs> and um, that, that is so crazy every time they shoot at this lady man it's just like yeah, they set up a crossfire. The colonel and ward set up a crossfire, and and she's either reacting to getting shot or she's ducking away from shots. It's not really clear uh, because sometimes she's reacting to something that's going to happen. Sometimes she's reacting to, to something that happened a couple seconds ago. The timing is off on most of her reactions. Yeah, I, I you cannot duct tape squibs to me. I don't like just let them go off in my face like that. She 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 gets an award. But I yeah, everything they shoot, uh, sparks fly. Spark. Yeah. Cole tries to make a deal with Rick. If he'll teach Cole the ways of this world, Cole will make him rich. Rick doesn't take the deal though. Yeah, he's like, get out of here, man. Just get away from me. Benny is uh, telling the girls stories of his childhood and macking on both of them until the it. hunter gets up on the roof. Oh yeah. It goes into this like weird spill about John Carter and like reading John Carter novels and stuff. Yeah. Trying to get some nerd cred and stuff. And then like, yeah, all of a sudden it's like, boom, boom. You hear like two jumps or something like a landing. Yeah. And then you hear Darth Vader labor, saber sounds like. Right. Like uh, the, the, the. Yeah. That sound, I guess, is her messing with the electricity again. I thought it was just like the power for the, the laser hand. I have no idea, honestly. I'm just uh, trying to find a way to make it make some kind of sense. All I know is whenever she is, she's on screen or she's coming, that stuff plays like Jaws. Like the, right. the, the uh, like that's, they use the favorite, like that's her in hunting mode. I don't know. It's, it's really cool. Well, when she, when she uh, gets up on the roof, Caroline goes hysterical again. Runs yeah. out of the cabin and hides in the truck. Bringing um, her the entire way out. Yeah. She's just lost it. She's totally gone. Gets in the pickup truck, starts bawling. Rick goes outside to see if he can see the hunter up on the roof. And the hunter comes up behind him and starts to choke him out. <laughs> Caroline gets out of the colonel's truck and she has found a crossbow. Which she immediately uses to shoot the hunter in the back of the head. <laughs> and that was the funniest that, scene. 
to me. Yeah, it's like it's like something out of a Jason movie or something. It's like it's out of nowhere. She hardly recognizes. She slowly turns her head. Then you see it. <laughs> you realize what happened. It's it's one of the best parts in the movie. She pulls the arrow out of her head uh, and and lets Rick get away. The colonel and Ward set up a crossfire, and while they've got her kind of stuck in one place, Benny's up on the roof with his chicken wire net that he throws down on top of the hunter unit and short circuits her. Thanks, Cole. Yeah, so we've got some of the best pseudoscience babbling in the entire movie here when Benny explains that it created a perpendicular magnetic pole that's siphoning her electrons in alignment with the Earth's axis. Yeah, he says all that through ADR. Why it's shocking her and stuff. And he, he probably should have said it with a retainer lisp. Or just like, I got her. But yeah, yeah something. Awesome. Like, because she's there and they're doing some kind of weird animation thing with electricity. And she's just fooling around with a chicken wire. And, like, everybody puts their guns down. They put their guards down. And, like, this guy, you know, ate additional dialogue recording, like, just, you know, off screen. He's like, yeah, this is how I did it. And shit. Also, up there, after they launch the net and he does it, it gives you those, one of those little, like, you know, 11-year-old kid, like, yes. Like, he just, yeah. like, arm down. He, oh, man. I hate that guy. <laughs> you know, well, for, like, Kurt- a, like, a weird alien horror movie. The body count's really low in this. It is. And I really wanted that guy to die. But I guess since it's like a remake of a 50s movie, the nerdy kid would always survive, which sucked. Yeah, if you're keeping track in this movie, the body count is only six through the entire movie. The tagline for this movie, Alienator, the Alien Terminator. By contrast, the body count in Terminator was through the roof. I remember watching it in high school, and we tried to keep track one time, and it's up there. Yeah, I know Terminator 2, that was definitely, that was triple digits. Yeah, but there's, the the body count for this movie is only six. Yeah, so it's old school sci-fi movie rules. Yeah. Usually killing doctors and scientists, a couple prison guards. Well, the colonel takes uh, the hunter unit's gun. He's going to add that to his collection, probably put it back in the cabinet where the landmine came from. Also, they take the body and put it in the back of his pickup truck. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Ward uh, Armstrong. It's like all like, Ooh, what if she gets away and stuff? And then the colonel's like, ah, I got the keys. I got the keys. <laughs> I, love this. I, got, fuck you I got the keys. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, I lost her shit when that happens. Like, what if she gets wakes up? And it's, I got the keys. Yeah. Going but, nowhere. Oh, we do see her wake up. We never see her actually leave the truck, though. Just your, you know, that that uh, typical, oh, wait, you thought it was dead. It's not. The hand comes up and grabs the side. Also, uh, what's his name? Cole takes the bully out to the woods for his little weird makeout session. Yeah, Cole wants Rick. He, he tries to make his deal with Rick again, and Rick's not interested. So Cole puts him in a bug-eyed chokehold. It's like, uh, I want- and like red shit comes out of his eyes yeah it was weird he drags rick off into the woods and initiates a bug-eyed mind swap we don't see what happened to them for a while 
we do see Rick coming back to the cabin as the sun comes up, but the colonel thinks something's fishy with that. Back on the prison colony, Lund is monkeying with electronics and gets caught by a guard and then sent away. That's the end of that little scene. Yeah, you can't be in here. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'm just in my purple robes over here. You go that way. All right, I'll go over there. Yeah. (laughs) That's the end of it. I'm going to walk this way. Back at the cabin, Rick tries to force himself on Ori, but Ward butts in, so Rick shoots him. Yeah, he's just like, he starts drinking. Like, it's like as soon as he gets back, he's like, oh, I got to go take a pee. He came back in, and he starts drinking, and they come out to, like, do that whole, whole like, uh, oh, I can't believe we survived the night. We're so lucky, you know. Everything gets cool and stuff. And then, he, yeah, he gets rough with his own girlfriend. Yeah, we're standing in the driveway, so how about you give me a little? After he totally just busts a beer bottle in his hand. Right. Acting really sus there. So Ward Ward tries to put a stop to it, but Rick shoots Ward in the in the arm uh, and explains that he's actually Cole and that he has taken over Rick's body. Yeah, I like it when they do that because like they do this in a bunch of movies. I know they, they like did it in Leprechaun Four or whatever, where like the Leprechaun turns into a hot chick. Yeah, and like they they did it well in Leprechaun and they do it well in this one. But I hate it when the like. Someone's taking over someone's body somehow magically, and they take that person's voice and they they dub it over the other person speaking. They got to get the links links uh right, you know, right. Sync. And I hate it when they do it in a lot of shit. Like uh, they did it, they got it synced up pretty well on this one. Oh yeah, no, they did it really well on this one. Like it is like almost too well. Yeah, like, I really want to know like who did that. And but uh, like in other movies, like uh, what was it? Like Star Trek, the original series. Yeah. Like uh, Clint Howard is that that little kid with a adult voice. Oh, God, that was creepy as hell. Like classic thing. And it's like, you know, but that's what that always makes me think is like the lip sync was always off and it's just weird. Right. This one that works, you know. Well, Cole's going to shoot them all, but the gun's empty. Oh, it's empty. That's right. Yeah, he doesn't know ammunition. Laser guns never run out of bullets. Right. But this runs out of bullets. So Benny jumps in there to shoot him or to fight with him. He's he's kind of grappling with Rick slash Cole. No, he's pretending. He's getting his ass kicked. (laughs) Not only does he punch him out, he picks up the empty gun and chokes him with the empty gun. Yes. It's and he bitch slaps him. He like backhands him (laughs) though. His ass kicked. I hate that nerd kid. And then Bula. And then the hunter unit. Uh, which is uh, active again, walks up behind Rick slash Cole and turns him around and chops his head off with an axe. She does a sweet, like, fucking ninja move. Yes. And, like, winds it up and, like, pops it. And she <laughs> actually has, like, battle damage. You know, she gets soot and stuff over from, like, the whole night. Right. And now there's daylight and shit. And, yeah, she just, like, cleans, wipes that fucking off. It was so cool. It's like something from a Conan movie. Yeah, and it was. That was a good shot. I liked that one. Um, it was. It was just uh, cheesy enough to be enjoyable, but it was. It was. It was shot really well. It was. You couldn't even tell that the head that was rolling was a piece of shit. I mean, I could. Yeah. But like, yeah, like the way it was done is like it was nice. And like when the head placement, like when they show like the guy like buried up to his neck. Severed head, that even looks cool. He's this so, stupid face. 
Aiken is like a cartoon. Yeah, when the head lands on the ground, it's not Rick's head anymore. It's Cole's head uh, puking up some Alka-Seltzer, it looks like. Alka-Seltzer and green shit. Yeah. Yeah, they mentioned that earlier in the movie that Cole didn't have red blood, but he had some kind of yellow slime instead. And, and that's what we see there with him laying on the ground. The hunter unit pulls out her communication device, which looks suspiciously like an RC car controller. She uses it like a thermal monitor, too. Like She talks into it. It's like, hey, uh, I killed this guy. Permission to go home? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, uh, yeah, permission granted. And she's like, all right, cool. And then she points the, the walkie-talkie at the head like it's a digital thermometer and it like just vaporizes. Yeah, uh, the commander is not content with knowing that Cole is dead. He wants Cole vaporized, wants him turned to ashes. And so she does that. And they're analyzing the DNA signature to verify that this is actually Cole's body. And here's the big twist that we've been waiting the whole movie for. Cole's wait, wait, wait. DNA has that same hook signature that Lund's DNA had earlier. No way. Yeah. It turns out that Lund was Cole's dad. And he had come to the penal colony not as a consultant or an advisor, but he came there to sabotage the execution. This totally got me by left. Like it just it it sucker punched me. Is he frames out a lightsaber. Uh not just any lightsaber. This is a space balls pinky ring lightsaber. <laughs> like when you get a look close on it, it looks like took like one of those little shitty flashlights and converted it to a ring or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally a lightsaber. They're just ripping off Star Wars. It's and 100% a lightsaber. And so he starts, he's got a lightsaber, but he lets the commander get close enough to grapple with him instead of just swinging this thing back and forth and chopping everybody down. He decides to grapple with the commander. Commander gets a hold of the lightsaber and punches it all the way through Lund. Dude, he just totally disarms him in one hook. And then, like, just jams it all the way through his gut. All the way through. Side. And that's where you see it's just a flashlight. And also, like, uh, the alienator gave the, the the people, like, on Earth, she just gives them, like, a sack full of space diamonds, like it's the Goonies or something. Like, uh, sorry about you tonight. Yeah. Uh, sorry about that doctor. Here's your space diamond. They shiny. They might be worth them. I Great big space diamonds. Big yellow space diamonds in a bag that she just happened to have for whatever yeah. reason. And then they're like all out there like <clears throat> drinking coffee and like, oh, we got shiny space diamonds. And you see the alienator ship just kind of like slowed on out. Yep. She blasts off. The gang's trying to figure out what happened to Rick. They all gather outside to watch her blast off. And that's the end. Yeah. That's it in the movie. It's a great movie. It's is highly recommended. Uh, it's funny. It's clever, and, and it's just a great movie. Yeah, it is. It is a funny movie. I, I like that. There's. I agree with you that Benny uh, is an insulting character. That, yeah, that character just insults your intelligence. There's no reason for him. He could have had twenty percent of the lines he had and been a better character. I'm just saying, the nerds in these, especially in those 50s sci-fi movies, they're supposed to be smart. 
And this guy is just like spelling out like just bullshit, like yeah. stupid shit written in a comic book. They should have been gone to like the dumb line should have gone to the bully. They should have, yeah. But that's just I don't I don't know. I mean, it makes me hate the character. That's what they were going for. Yeah, kudos, because I hate the shit out. Of <laughs> <laughs> he should have been the third person. He should have died before the redneck hunters. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but, he uh, should have. But yeah, I no, agree with awesome. you. I would definitely recommend that movie. It was available on Tubi, and Tubi is not paying me, paying us to to promote them. But uh, as of the first of the year, because we're recording this on January second, as of January one, it's no longer available on Tubi. You can rent it on Amazon Prime for way too much money, so don't do that. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. That's a good episode. That All was right. really good. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFpod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDF Pod. Join us next time as we explore another movie's so awesome, it probably shouldn't have been made.